Thanks so much for being here. What a great crowd this morning. Let me be uh, among the last to wish you Happy New Year. Uh, my name is Steve Wallen, and I was gone last week on vacation, as I know many of you were, uh, and um, for some of you, because we had to cancel our Friday night service, I didn't get to see you at Christmas Eve, and so if I haven't seen you in a while, let me reintroduce myself. I'm Steve, and I'm glad that you're here. I wonder uh, how many of you, beginning of the year, time for new beginnings, right? New year, new you. Uh, how many of you made some, let's don't call them resolutions, made some goals at the beginning of the year? Raise your hand if you made some goals this year. Good. How, how many, do you ever go back and think, look at how you did from last year's goals? Like how many of you done that with for 2022? Anybody gone back and don't like, most people don't like to think about it. Okay. That's all right. I get it. Um, I did that this week as I was thinking about preparing for this message. I looked back to my goals. I set myself for 2022. I had three major goals for 2022. And I accomplished one of them. This is not baseball where batting 333 gets you in the Hall of Fame. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is real life, people. Uh, my three goals for last year, I'll just be transparent. My three goals were I wanted to read through the Bible. Uh, I have done that now 15 years in a row. And um, I did that I, I, on Jan, uh, December 28th. I finished my way through the Bible. It was great. It's always great. I kind of try to read a different translation every year. And that's been a really important part of my spiritual growth. So even I started doing it before I was a pastor. It's not a pastor thing. It's a follower of Jesus thing. But I, I was glad I got through that. So check, got one down. My second goal, I was not as successful at. I wanted to run uh, many of you know I'm a runner. I wanted to run 1,650 miles. I ran 1,200. So I didn't quite make that. Now, I know some of you hear that and go, oh, only 1,200. Oh, big deal. But it's not your goal. It's my goal. Okay? So that was my goal. 1,200, I mean, on the plus side, it's 100 miles a month on average. So that was pretty good. But I didn't reach my goal. I wanted to do it. I didn't do it. Uh, my third goal was much less successful even than that one. <laughs> my third goal that I set for myself in 2022 was I wanted to learn to play piano. And so in January of last year, this was the toughest one. January of last year, I started watching YouTube videos, you know, how to play the office theme on the piano, how to play whatever. And so I was trying to learn to play songs and I realized ah, I probably need some more background than that. So I, I bought a book and the book taught me to use some chords. And I thought, well, this is kind of boring. I don't want to do this. So I, I downloaded an app. I did basically everything you could do to learn to play piano, except hiring somebody to teach you to play piano, which maybe should have been my first thing that I did. Um, but uh, I realized something I was doing this that, um, that that was that I didn't really want to learn to play piano. What I wanted was to be able to play piano. Do you see the difference there? Like, <laughs> I didn't want to, I used to tell my kids, my kids, uh, when they were little, they both took an instrument. I had one that played piano and one that took violin and they took lessons and I took them to, uh, every week. And every week when we left lessons, I would say, so are you going to practice this week? And every week on the way to lessons, I would say, so did you practice this week? And if the answer was no, I would always tell them this. I would, this is, oh man, so good. So such great parental wisdom. I would say, you don't learn to play piano at piano lessons. I said, you learn to practice at piano lessons. You learn to play piano when you practice, right? If I only had taken my own advice. I didn't like to practice because there's other people in the house and we have an actual piano like in our house that can, you can hear throughout the house and I didn't want to practice. And so the good thing is I learned this through, this through this failure, all right? I learned that learning to play piano is a process. And I learned that there are some things in life that require you to follow a process. If you're going to be good at something, you've got to follow a process. It's true with piano. It's true with relationships. 
It's true with just about everything in life. And a process means this. A process means, one, there's an appropriate place to start. And two, there's a series of steps that you take along the way. Learning to follow a process is an important part of life. And sometimes part of the process itself is knowing when to hit reset and to start all over again when you can have a fresh start. Uh, last week, we started a brand new series called Reset here at Genesis. Uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to take some time and evaluate where we are when it comes to pursuing the priorities that Jesus has called us to as individuals and as a church family. The, the truth is, the last three years has been really hard on just about everybody. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. But in spite of the challenges, we've seen God do some really amazing things in our church family and through our church family. But the truth is that so much has happened in our world, in our community, in our church over the past few years that it has been really easy to get distracted from the important things and lose focus on the bigger mission and vision that we have here at Genesis Church. That's why we decided to begin this year this way um, by hitting reset and refocusing our attention on our mission and vision and the things that we believe that God has called us to at Genesis Church. Now, for some of you, if you've been here uh, for a long time, longer than three years, uh, this will be a repeat or a refresher for you. And it's probably good to get a refresher, but I know that many of you are new in the last few years. And so this will give you great insight as to who we are as a church and maybe what makes us a little bit different. And so if you're new in that time period, hopefully this will be encouraging to you as well. Uh, here's the best part. This reset series will lead us into a year-long study of the book of Acts, which we're going to start in February. And so if you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got some Bibles in the back of the room. You can take one of those with you today because in just a couple of weeks, we're going to roll out our reading plan for the book of Acts and you can be reading along with us all year long. Now, here's what we looked at last week. Our lead pastor, Paul Muma, was here and he looked at our mission statement, which is helping people find their way back to God. This has been our mission statement since, well, since 2003, since the church started. And this mission comes from 2 Corinthians 5, where the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he is uh, urging them to live their lives as ambassadors for Christ. Uh, he tells them that the people around them uh, need to know, uh, the people you know, the people you work with, they need to know, uh, find their way back to God by experiencing his love and forgiveness and hope. And so you guys need to go be ambassadors for Christ. But that can't be our church's mission unless it's your personal mission, right? Because apart from you, there is nothing to the church. Like you are the church. Believe me, I've been in this building when it's empty. There is nothing special about this place, okay? You are what makes it special. And so if helping people find their way back to God is not your mission, it will not be our church's mission. I hope you understand and believe that God is ready and able to use you to help the people you know find their way back to him. You know, that includes people in your family. Yes, even the people, the one you didn't want to sit by at Christmas dinner. That includes your neighbors, even the one neighbor that you're not quite sure what he does or what he's doing going into another house that nobody wants to talk to. You've got that one neighbor. That includes him. That includes your coworkers, your fellow students, your friends, um, for Many people, you may be the only Christian they know if you're a follower of Jesus. You may be the only Christian they know, and you've got a unique way that you can invest in and influence that person. That's our mission, helping people find their way back to God. So today, we're going to hit reset by looking at our vision for the future and what we think God is calling us to become and accomplish together. So our vision as a church is to become a disciple-making church. This is a pathway we started down a few years ago now, probably seven or eight years ago, um, some of our pastors underwent a year-long study of the life and ministry of Jesus. And 
for those years, we felt like God is calling us to become a disciple-making church. And there have been times when we have focused on this really, really well. But if we're being honest, at times, especially over the last three years, we've allowed the chaos of everything that's happening in our world to distract us, maybe even discourage us from pursuing this vision. So uh, it's time for it to, us to hit reset. It's time for us to start pursuing it together again. Now, in his account of Jesus' life, uh, the apostle Matthew tells us that several days after Jesus rose from the dead, he called his followers together for a meeting on a mountaintop just outside of Jerusalem. And these are the last words that Matthew records Jesus saying to his disciples. They're in Matthew chapter 28. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them there. Matthew 28. You may know this as the Great Commission. We've kind of liked calling it the Everyday Commission because there's nothing great about it and it's not really hard or difficult. It's just something that we need to be doing every day. Here are the last words of Jesus that Matthew records before he ascended into heaven. Uh, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I just want to stop right there and say, let's don't skip over this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. What does all authority mean? Well, it means all power, right? All power to heal the sick, power to cure the lame, power to uh, uh, rescue the, the, the captives, power to free those who are in bondage to some kind of uh, sin or habit. Um, Jesus has been given all authority. All authority has been given to him. Power to do all things. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, First of all, I want you to notice in here that Jesus isn't making a suggestion to his disciples. He's not saying, hey, would you please, I think it'd be really good if you would go out and make disciples. He, he's not saying, uh, you know, maybe it would be a good idea. Or would you consider? He's, he's, making, he's giving them a command. Therefore, go is a command, right? Jesus commanded his disciples to go and make disciples. In other words, Jesus gave them direct instructions about what he wanted and what he expected them to do next. Now, in February, when we begin our study of the book of Acts, what we'll see is that he sent a helper along with them. He sent a helper called the Holy Spirit. That's a helper that you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, we still have that helper with us today. And we'll see how the Holy Spirit made that easier um, in the book of Acts for, the, for his followers to go make disciples. But Today, I want to help you see how Jesus modeled a clear and repeatable process uh, of disciple-making for all of us to follow, because this is really important that we, you know that this um, disciple-making vision didn't just come from us. This came from three and a half or three and three quarters years of Jesus's adult ministry on earth, and uh, the process that we can all follow starts with four calls that Jesus gave to each of his disciples. Uh, and he asks each of us to respond to them on an individual basis. And each of these calls or invitations translates into different phases of spiritual growth that can help us understand where we are and can help us uh, understand how we grow in the disciple-making process and then also help others do the same. So remember what I said earlier, a process means there are necessary steps to take. There's a place to start, there's steps to take. And so to help walk us through this, I wanna use this graphic. It's a graphic of a, the growth of a tree. Many of you know that a tree starts with a simple seed, right? This is an apple tree. An apple tree, if you uh, eat an apple, uh, as part of your lunch today, or maybe you had one this morning, you may get to the middle part and you get to the seeds and you're like, this is annoying. Why do apples have to have seeds in them? I just want to eat the whole thing. But the seed is what the apple's all about, right? 
Without the seed, the apple wouldn't exist. Why? Because the seed contains, what's the seed contain? This isn't a trick question. What's the seed contain? It contains, somebody said an apple tree, right. A, a seed contains life, right? It contains DNA. It contains a, a simple seed, one little seed that might be this big, contains all the DNA to produce an entire apple tree, right? Well, but not just a tree. One simple seed has all of the DNA to produce an entire orchard, entire forest. All of the, all of the life, all of the DNA, all of the genetic information to produce an entire forest is contained in that one tiny seed. And think about how a tree grows. It starts as a tiny seed, and then eventually it gets some water and some sunlight, and it grows into a sprout. It sends roots below the ground to help secure its place in the soil. It sends shoots above the ground, and you start to see life that happens in there. And then after a while, it becomes not just a sprout, but a sapling. It becomes a, a tree that's got some girth to it, and it's sturdier, and it's got some roots that grow a little bit deeper. And then over time, you get a mature tree and then eventually that mature tree produces what? Produces fruit, right? It produces fruit. So there's a visible representation on the outside of that life. And because of that fruit, it's able to reproduce and produce more trees. And so we understand how that process works for fruit-bearing plants. Well, that process is the same when someone becomes a disciple of Jesus that learns how to make disciples of Jesus. And in John chapter 1, we find out where and how this whole process started for Jesus' first disciples. And at this point in time, Jesus is at the very beginning of his ministry. He had just been baptized a few weeks before this, and then he had immediately been led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days. He comes out, and John the Baptist is there. John the Baptist is the only person on earth who knows who Jesus is, knows he's the Messiah, knows he's the Son of God. Um, and in John 1.35, we start there, we see this. It says, the next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. So some of these guys were following John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So John is pointing to his disciples and say, for centuries, God has been promising to send a once and for all sacrifice for us that would take away the sin of the world. That's him. Jesus is him. John is pointing to him. He's the only one in the world that knows this at this point. He points to Jesus, says, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, if you hear this interaction and think it sounds a little awkward or maybe a little forward, well, you're not wrong. All right, stalker much. Um, but uh, it kind of reminds me of, uh, if you've ever heard comedian Jim Gaffigan, he talks about when you meet someone in a hotel pool or hot tub and how the conversation starts a little light and then eventually gets to, so what room are you guys staying in? You know, it's a little creepy, right? <laughs> They, they start following him and they're like, Jesus, where are you staying? <laughs> you know, you could get a little put off by that if you're Jesus, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He, instead of being put off by it, Jesus just goes with the flow. John 139, he gives them this answer. Come, he replied, and you will see. And that's the first call. That's the first invitation Jesus gives to his followers. Come and see. Repeat that after me. Come and see. 
Good. Now, just like these two men, some of you are here today, and you're here in this come and see stage. You're here because one of your New Year's resolutions was to come back to church, and you want to hear what Jesus is all about and find out what this gospel is that people keep talking about. Or you're here because somebody invited you, a friend's been inviting you, and they won't get off your case, and finally you're just going to go and get it over with. Or you're here because your spouse or your partner's been coming, and uh, you feel a little left out. You feel a little lonely. And maybe I'll come and see what this Jesus thing is all about. You're here to come and see. And we call someone at this phase a seeker. A seeker is someone who's interested in spiritual things, but is not yet following Jesus. And if you keep reading, you'll discover that these two men uh, become the first two of Jesus's followers. It's believed that one of them is John, as in the John that wrote the gospel, John. And the other guy is Andrew. And Andrew, uh, we'll find out more about him in a moment. But here's what I want you to see. As John the Baptist directed their attention to Jesus, we learn that they were curious about who he was. And how did Jesus respond to their curiosity? He invited them to come and see to investigate the facts for themselves. So if you compare these two guys to the, the life cycle of a tree, they were seeds, right? There was lots of potential in them, but there was no growth yet. There was no visible growth. John 1:39 again, come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, we don't know how long they spent with Jesus, uh, they spent the day with him. We don't know how long they hung out or what exactly they talked about, but we do know what happens next. John tells us in verse 40, he says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. So immediately we know this about Andrew. He's Simon Peter's brother. Now, all the readers at the time that John wrote this would have known who Simon Peter was. And even if you haven't been in church very long, you probably know a little bit about Peter and who he was as a disciple. Well, we find out Andrew, his brother, was actually followed Jesus before Simon Peter did. He was one of the first two followers. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now imagine if you're Peter and you're the famous guy, you're the famous brother, and there's Andrew in the background saying, well, I found him first. You know, that's kind of what could happen here with Andrew, that little brotherly uh, conflict happening here. But, but these are the details we've learned so far. Andrew was spiritually curious. John the Baptist pointed him to Jesus. Jesus invited him, come and see. Come and see what I'm all about. And the first thing Andrew does is go find his brother and bring him to Jesus. Did you know that seekers are some of our best inviters? You know, for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, we've kind of exhausted our Rolodex in a way, right? We've asked everybody we think to ask. We don't even think about it. We've gotten rejected so many times that we don't even think about inviting people anymore. But for seekers, if, if they come and see and they see something different in Jesus, they find something exciting and they just keep inviting people, inviting people to church, inviting people to their Bible study, inviting people into their home so they can tell them the story of who Jesus They don't even know who Jesus is yet. Maybe they haven't even made that decision to follow him, but they know there's something exciting there. And that's what we see in Andrew. He's like, I, I think this guy's something special. I'm going to invite my brother in. In just a few hours now, Jesus has three followers. It all started with a simple invitation to come and see what he was about. Now, in a way, we are all like Andrew. God has created all of us as spiritual beings, which means we're all spiritually curious and hungry and seeking answers. 
And so if you're here today and you're a seeker, I just want to say welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, we welcome your questions. We welcome your doubts. Uh, we're glad that you're here worshiping with us. And I want to give you a couple of next steps for this year uh, to help you grow along that pathway of the, uh, the tree. Uh, number one is this, come to church. <laughs> I mean, this could go for all of us, but, you know, come to, come to church services. Come, I want to challenge you to come every week this year. We're going to do this study of the book of Acts, and I, I promise you it is going to be so, uh, uh, so uh, encouraging for you. It's going to be uh, so eye-opening for you to see how the early church formed. And I know that you're going to be out of town some weeks, and there are things that you have to do. But what I mean by inviting you to come every week is don't wake up one morning and go, you know what, I'm just, just going to skip it today. It's just too much. I can't, I can't do it today. I want to encourage you to make this a priority. Uh, second, uh, remember, practice, right? Practice is an important part of the process. And this is practice. What we do in here is practice. Uh, second, I want to invite you to join our Alpha group. We've got some new groups that are starting January 29th. One of those groups is called Alpha. Alpha is for people who are uh, not familiar with, with the faith of Christianity or new to the faith and they want to help learn uh, how to grow in their faith and how to defend their faith. Alpha will happen between our Noblesville and Carmel campuses. There's a great couple from our Carmel campus that's going to lead that, and uh, we'll tell you more about that in the next couple of weeks, but that's going to start uh, the week of January 29th, and I want to invite you to that. The process of becoming a follower of Jesus starts with a simple come-and-see invitation to see who he is and what he's like, and he's not afraid of our questions or our doubts, our fears. He invites us to come and investigate who he is as we are, but our goal for people who are seekers is to find their way back to God so they can go help others do the same. So say, come and see. Say that after me, come and see. Good, but come and see is just the first step. Uh, what we see is this process continues in the verse of John 1, the next verse, John 1, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Say, follow me. That's the second call, follow me. Now, this is the first time we meet Philip. We don't know how well Jesus and Philip know each other, but either way, John wants us to know that uh, on the day after that Jesus had met Andrew and Peter, he found Philip, and he invited him to follow him on this trip to Galilee. But this is not just an invitation to go road tripping with Jesus, okay? This is, uh, David Guzik points out that the verb follow here is used in its full sense to follow as a disciple. In other words, Jesus was inviting Philip to hit the reset button in his life in a way that would require him to live, live differently and to follow the example that Jesus would modify or would uh, modify his life, follow the example that Jesus would model for him. And, and very simply, we call someone who has accepted this second call to follow me, we call them a follower of Jesus. Uh, a follower is someone who looks to Jesus as the guide for their life, but is not yet making disciples. Now, this is a really important step because when you... Um, Step from being a seeker into a follower. First of all, you're given eternal life. You've decided to follow Jesus. You're given eternal life. You've got your life in heaven is guaranteed with him. Uh, the second thing that happens, you're forgiven of all your sin. That's really important. But you'll notice this is only the second step of a four-step process. We're going to get to more after this. Um, it, but if you look back to the tree graph, a uh, follower is kind of like a seedling. Right? There's evidence of growth. There is life there, but they're not yet producing fruit. In his book, Discipleship, Jim Putman describes the process of learning to follow Jesus like this. He says, a disciple of Jesus is someone whose willingness to follow him is evidence in their love, in their love for him. And even though their obedience to him isn't perfect, it should be evident and growing. You know, so that sounds like a lot of us in this room, right? 
I want to follow him, but my obedience isn't perfect. Unlike Andrew and John, Philip didn't need to investigate the facts. He was ready to move. And so the very next verse, John tells us that Philip didn't waste any time inviting others. Again, he's a brand new follower of Jesus. In verse 44, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about and the prophets wrote about. So Philip just started following Jesus, and he's going to invite other people into the same thing. He goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. Nathaniel's laying under a tree. Uh, he said, it's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel's a little more skeptical. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Now, we could unpack this for a long time and talk about Nazareth and its place in the ancient world. I'd love to do that with you. I don't have time, but what I want you to see is how Philip responded. Philip said, come and see. He gave him the same invitation that Jesus gave to his first followers, right? Uh, and apparently it worked with Nathaniel because Nathaniel started following Jesus too. So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you find yourself in this second step in that growth phase, uh, here's a couple steps for you. I want to encourage you to join a connection group. If you're not already in a group, uh, we've got some new groups that are starting on uh, January 29th that week. Uh, I want to encourage you to join one of those. Uh, the second way that you can get connected here is to sign up to serve to serve somewhere in a church. A, a lot of people will use that as a checkbox on their journey. Hey, I'm, I'm in a group, I'm serving, I'm giving, and so I'm doing good things in the church. I must be a Christian. It's not that. It's not a checkbox. But the Apostle Paul does compare every person to a part of a body. And if every part of the body doesn't do its function, the body suffers from that. Um, the third thing is to begin praying about investing in someone else. Maybe this week you ask this simple prayer. Who are the few people that God has put in my life that I can invest in? So everybody say, come and see. Now say, follow me. Okay, good. By the end of John 1, we're two days into Jesus' ministry, and he has five followers. We call him his starting five, all right? Andrew, Peter, uh, John, Philip, Nathaniel. We've got five guys. Five guys are following Jesus using two simple invitations, come and see and follow me. Here's the next one, Mark 1. Mark 1, 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net in the lake. Remember, he already knows these guys. Right? He's already met them. He's, in fact, at this point, he's been with them for uh, half of his men, 18, 18 months, 21 months maybe. Uh, they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, this is great. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. But as I've studied this over the past seven or eight years, um, I've realized that the NIV doesn't do a great job of translating verse 17, at least in my opinion. I mean, who am I to tell a Bible translator they got it wrong? But where I get my information is that if I look at almost every other English translation, there's something different in verse 17. Let me just show you in the ESV what it says. Uh, this is one example. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Do you see the difference between this and send you out? Like send you out kind of says, hey, you're on your own, Right? But really, the NIV is about the only translation that says it that way. Almost every other translation, there's some kind of transformation that happens here. Jesus says, I will make you become fishers of men. I will teach you. Uh, somebody showed me their version today that said, I will show you how to fish for people. There's, right, there's some, trans, there's tr some transformation in there. In other words, um, I'm going to make you into something you're not already. So this is the third call that Jesus gives to his followers, and it's to fish for people. Say fish for people. 
Good. This is an important next step of the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus because a disciple is more than a student who learns spiritual and moral truths. It's more than just reading your Bible. It's more than coming to church on a regular basis. It's more than giving faithfully. All those things are important and they're good, but that's not what makes a person a disciple. According to Jesus, becoming his disciple requires transformation. Right? A true disciple is someone who not only follows Jesus, but willingly allows him to reshape their life. Right? He's not just Savior, he's also Lord. I'm going to allow you to reshape my life to be more like yours, Jesus, so that I can help other people do the same. That's what it means when we decide to go fish for people. Putman puts it simply this way. He says, a disciple of, Je- <laughs> disciple of Jesus is changed by Jesus. Now, as we learn to follow Jesus, he changes the way we think. He changes the way we think about God and who he is and how he views us. He changes the way of how we relate to other people. Instead of living for your own selfish desires, he teaches us to love and care for others in the same way that God loves and cares for us. This is something that the Lord did in my life and in a mighty way, something I could not have done on my own. For so many years, even as a young Christian, I was so judgmental about people's lifestyle and the way they lived. I would often just cast stones at people because they were living. I found this new thing in Jesus and I'm gonna start living this way. And no, I'm not perfect, but I'm really trying. But you're out there living your life like this and and that's not right. And I'm gonna judge you for that. And over the years, Jesus started to change my heart and help me realize that, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Like they weren't people that needed to be judged. And He changed my heart and helped me love people much better. And if you let him do that for you, he will do that for you as well. And he changes the way we feel about God and the way we feel about people. And he changes our our motivations. Just think about all the motivations we have to be successful, to be wealthy, to have lots of possessions, to to climb the ladder of success, to, to be popular. And then the more we learn to follow Jesus, the more he transforms our desires and our aspirations to be more like his. He transforms our motivations to be more like his. And when he called his first followers to fish for people, he was calling them to action. He was giving them a specific and clear purpose. And for those of us who have accepted this third call to fish for people, we call that person a kingdom worker. A kingdom worker is someone whose priorities have shifted from just growing in their own faith to helping others grow in their faith. Now, I would say a kingdom worker is a mature tree, maybe with some blossoms on it, right? There's evidence that fruit is coming. You know, they're, they're strong in their faith. They can withstand the storms and the wind, but there's no fruit yet. But fruit is coming. You can start to see the evidence of fruit being produced. And if you hear this and you realize you're a kingdom worker, um, let me give you some next steps. First of all, I want to encourage you to maybe lead a connection group. Maybe you've been in a group for a while and you, you're, I'm not ready to lead. I don't know enough about the Bible or I don't, well, I don't have a, a place that we can house that many people or I, I don't really have the gift of hospitality. That's okay. We'll help you with all that stuff. But we need leaders who want to invest in people. Maybe you're being called to step out of the group you're in now and to lead a new group. Uh, I want to encourage you to attend our multiply class. Uh, I'm going to start, I'm going to lead a multiply class probably on Tuesday nights here at the Noblesville campus starting in January 31st. It'll be an eight-week class that will take you through all of our disciple-making material, everything that we've learned and garnered from the life and ministry of Jesus over the last eight years. Again, it's eight weeks. We'll teach you six skills that you need to be a disciple-maker. And again, that's probably going to start January 31st on Tuesday nights. And then the third thing is you've got a few people in your life that you need to start investing in. Start praying. Start praying that the Lord would show you who they are. 
that he would give you an opportunity. In fact, we're going to take some time here at the end of the service in just a minute to pray for them. When, when Jesus promised to make his first followers into fishers of people, he was making a strategic shift to equip them and to release them for his purpose. I mean, think back again to this graphic of the tree. That one small seed continues to morph and transform and grow over the course of time, but there's an end to its growth, right? We see it on this last tree. The end is to produce fruit, and that leads to the fourth call that Jesus gives his followers, and we find it in John 15. He's in a conversation with his closest disciples. It's just hours before he's going to be arrested and turned over to the authorities and crucified. In John 15, I always like to picture that he's leading them through a vineyard. He's uh, leading them past a field of grapes. And here's the conversation he has, John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me uh, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. In his final hours before his death, Jesus is laser-focused on his goal for his disciples. And he even uses the comparison of a fruitful life for him versus a fruitless life apart from him to help make his point. But one thing I want you to notice in here is the word remain. If, if you read through that verse, what you'll see is in the first, I think, 15 verses of John 15, he uses the word remain eight times. It's so important. If we want to do this, if we want to accomplish anything uh, of value for the kingdom, we have to remain in Jesus. We, we've got to remain. Uh, for these men, their journey with Jesus began three and a half or three and three quarter years ago with this simple come and see invitation that led to following him and allowing him to transform them into fishermen of people. And then he gives them this final call, John 15, eight. He says this, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's the fourth call, say bear much fruit. At the end of his life, Jesus looks at his disciples and realized they were finally ready to go to carry out his mission. The time had come for him to go back to his father. They were going to go into the world and bear fruit for God's kingdom by making disciples of Jesus who would in turn go make other disciples of Jesus. Now, for someone who responded to this fourth call, and guys, these people are rare. I just want to be honest. I want to be upfront with that. Uh, I just want to be realistic for a moment. Not many people respond to this fourth call. But for those people, we call them disciple makers. A disciple maker is somebody who's transformed their life so that Jesus's priorities are their priorities. Like I've got no priorities apart from Jesus's priorities. If that's true, I'm a disciple maker. They're most interested in teaching others to be disciple makers. And uh, I hope to get there someday. I really do. In February, we're going to begin our book of the study of Acts and see how those first followers of Jesus live this mission out. But for the last 2,000 years, this vision of disciple-making has allowed the gospel to spread all over the world, and it continues with each and every one of us today. Come and see. Follow me. Fish for people. Bear much fruit. The four calls of Jesus. Now, before we close, I just want to share one more thing with you. This whole message is not meant to make you feel guilty about what you're not doing. <laughs> okay, so if there's any... If there's any guilt in you that you're feeling right now, it didn't come from me. It didn't come from the Lord. That's coming from within you. It's, I'm not trying to arm wrestle you into doing the church's work for you. It's not to get you to invite all your friends so we can fill up these seats. I mean, we like people in the front row too. God bless you for sitting there. Um, no, the, the only reason we should do this is to celebrate the gift 
that we, we have been given. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have the greatest gift of all time. Have you thought about that? We have the greatest gift of all time in eternal life by the grace of God through faith in Christ. And when you get a great gift, don't you want to let people know about it? I mean, if you got a great gift for Christmas, didn't you text your friends? Didn't you call your mom and tell her thank you? Didn't you, whoever gave it to you, weren't you so excited to tell people that so-and-so is such a great gift giver? Look at that. And we didn't talk as much about the gift as we did about the giver, right? Because the giver of the gift is what really matters. And we have the best gift, the gift of eternal life, because it came from God. And don't you want people to know about that gift? I mean, if you've got a great gift, you want to tell people about it. And, and if you've got a great Christmas gift, how much better, how much better is the gift of eternal life in Christ? That's why we do this. So today's really an invitation. It's an invitation to a journey, and it's a journey that begins by inviting people to come and see who Jesus is for himself, and then to learn to follow him so that he can transform them into be fishers for people so that they can go and bear fruit for his kingdom. Can I tell you something we've learned over the past few years of trying to do this? And this, this may come as a shock to you. Maybe it doesn't. But, you know, years ago, a few years ago, for those of you who have been in church for a while, um, you know, if we wanted somebody to encounter Jesus, we just invite him to a church service, right? And most people, especially here in Indiana, they knew they were kind of supposed to be in church anyway. And so if you had a church that you really liked and you were very excited about, they'd be very likely to join you because they already felt a little tinge of guilt for not coming on Sunday mornings. That doesn't happen anymore. With the, especially with the, this next generation, it's just not as common. to they, they feel, People feel no more guilty about missing church on Sunday than you feel about missing temple on Saturday night. Right? It's just... It's just not something that they know to do. So if you invite somebody to church, it might work. They might come here, but that's probably not going to be somebody's first step. What if you invite them to your kitchen table first? What, what if you tell them your story before trying to share God's story? I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Sunday morning worship services are important. This is a, what we're doing here is an essential part of our faith in Christ, and it's good for our church family. But inviting someone to church is not the most effective way to reach new people. It's much more effective, much more Jesus-like to go out into their world and to reach people around us by building relationships with them that allow us to share our faith in Jesus in practical ways. This is what disciple-making looks like. It's finding ways to invite people that you love and care about to come and see, come and see what he's like, and then helping them learn what it means to follow him with their lives and then so that they can do the same for others. Is it difficult? <laughs> yeah. It's hard at times. People are messy. You, you know that. You've seen it. But God's put us in a place where maybe we can have an impact. Is it scary? Mm, yeah, sometimes. It's scary to walk across the street. It's scary even with someone you know to try to share the gospel with them. Right? That's what we want to help provide these tools. But it's God's plan. <laughs> it's God's plan for saving the world. It is his only plan for rescuing your friends, your family, your neighbors, your fellow students from certain death and destruction. Don't you want to be a part of that? I mean, honestly, what could be more rewarding? What could be a more fulfilling or a, a, a bigger cause to give your life to than to emptying out hell and filling up heaven? Right? I mean, chances are you have a person or a few people in your life that you've thought about as you've listened today. You thought this person needs to hear about Jesus. 
you know they don't know Christ or they're struggling in their faith or they used to go to church, now they don't anymore. And you're wondering, you know, we're gonna take a few moments here just to, to pray for those people in your life. And when we're done here in a minute, uh, we're not gonna close with a song today, but um, our, our prayer team will be up here. We'd love to pray specifically for anything that's happening in your life or any people. But as we pray, here's what I want you to think about. I'm gonna put this graphic back up on the screen. Seeker, follower, kingdom worker, disciple maker, where are you? If you don't recognize yourself, maybe just ask the Lord, like, where am I here? And you, you can ask that question. Where are I? Where, where am I? Uh, and what are your next steps? Maybe the Lord has one specific next step for you today. And if you're over here on the right side of the graph, if you're a kingdom worker or disciple maker, um, you've got a couple people in your life that need to hear about Jesus. Who are they? Let's pray for those people, okay? Um, I'm going to give you just a minute to pray on your own, and then I will close us in prayer. Gracious Father, as I'm up here praying, I just feel like you've already put a couple names and faces in my mind of people that I can reach that maybe no one else can reach. Uh, and I thank, I thank you for that. And as I think about what it means to, what it's meant for me to walk down this journey from seeker to follower to kingdom worker to disciple maker, um, Lord, I know you're not finished. Uh, that just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that you haven't called me to do the same thing in my personal life. And so for each of us here, for all of us that are followers of Jesus, that are kingdom workers, that want to be disciple makers, um, Lord, we've got names and faces in our minds. Would you already start preparing the ground, preparing the soil to hear the good news uh, of Jesus? Uh, would you give us courage and strength and wisdom to know when to go share that message and how to share that message? God, would you even just uh, free up our feet to walk across the street or down the hall or to the next cubicle or to the next workstation or to the next locker, to the next class, to talk to that person about how Jesus has changed our lives. And Lord, for those of us in this room that are, are, are seekers or um, maybe just, just stepping into that follower role, I just pray that you would give us the wisdom to know how to remain in you how to keep learning more about you, to draw closer to you, to keep praying to you, to keep reading your word, uh, or draw us closer. We want to be a people who knows their father intimately. And God, as we go and as we see growth this year, as we study through how the first church uh, grew in um, both in number and in faith, uh, we want to be like that church. It's not about filling up these seats. It's not about getting more people here, but, 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 but healthy things grow. And we want to see growth, spiritual growth in our church. And when we do, we will give you all the praise and all the glory you deserve, Jesus. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.